Hey everyone, welcome to a celebratory edition of Kicking Out at Two this week as we go back into the wrestling archives and celebrate the 25 year anniversary of the inaugural WCW Monday Nitro from September the 4th, 1995. Uh, joining me this week is uh, two individuals who probably remember this very well uh, during their wrestling fandom, my good buddies and my brother, Justin and Dennis. What's going on? Chilling. Thank you for having me, boys. Yeah, oh, of course. Absolutely. Of course. Um, yeah, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to celebrate the 25-year anniversary by watching this Monday Nitro on the WWE Network. And if you guys want to watch it with us, too, uh, you can uh, log into your WWE Network account. Um and you'll go, go to the space bar on the left-hand side. You'll say in-ring. You click on that, and then the next space bar on the left-hand side, you scroll down, you'll click on WCW, and then you will click on the Monday Nitro icon. And when you click on that, the year is 1995. You'll scroll all the way to the right, and it's the first episode, September the 4th, 1995. Uh, this episode was held uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Mall of America. Um, and famous for the, uh, the, the the shocking return to WCW of one Lex Luger. Um, we'll get into that. Um, and uh, if you guys got any Nitro memories of your own, hit us up on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out of Two, as well as our Twitter handle at Kicking Out Two. Um, you guys want to share some of your memories of the very first Nitro if you watched it then, if you're watching it now with us. Um, if you don't remember it, then uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a little countdown. Uh, when I say when I say play, you're going to hit play. Uh, make sure you got the sound off so you can uh, hear our alternate commentary. And uh, this show goes, it runs at 45 minutes and 4 seconds. Uh, briefly, throughout the, uh, uh, the, the, the broadcast, I might turn the audio up to play a promo. Um, so uh, make sure you have your sound off um, so you can hear our audio. Um, I'll track it for you guys if need be. Um, so... Uh, before we get into this uh, this, this nitro um, uh, watch party here, um, do any of you do either of you have any memories of this first Monday Nitro episode? Oh, absolutely. That uh, a uh, I I, re I remember being in Minnesota, being a Viking fan. So that that, that was that was that's right. That's right. That, that, I that, forgot that, about that. That was, that was one of the key things, and and I want to say it was well. Was it Labor Day that this was on? This was on Labor Day. Yeah, because I yeah. remember that Tuesday was going to be the first day of school. Okay. So this was one of the most, not just going to be in, being the first, but this was one of the most memorable Nitros for, for, for me. Being, being I remember that that, that the next day was going to be school and all that stuff, being Minnesota. That I never was that big of a Lex Luger fan, but I always <laughs> big on uh, Big Boss Man or Big Bubba, whatever. But he was in the main event, so I remember yep. that. So one of his few few times he was a main eventer in WCW. Yeah, so. very few. Yeah. Uh, what, what what are your memories, Justin, of uh, this Nitro? Do you have any? Uh, I don't remember watching it live. Um, I was still fairly young at the time. I was obviously, as I've said before, more in tune with WWF TV. Um, it wasn't until later on in um, in Nitro's growth with the NWO and all that, that I really caught on to Nitro. And even then, like I said, I was a passive viewer at best, um, just to kind of catch the major happenings and such. Um, but I do remember just that there was a new that WCW, which to me was always the show that was on Saturday night, um, that they were getting a show on Mondays. Yep. And so I do remember just that, you know, vaguely remember that buzz that was surrounding that idea. Not that there was a war going to take place or anything like that, but just that they were going to be on, there was a new show on Monday nights and it wasn't going to be the kind of like this Saturday night type show. It was mm -hmm. going to be comparable to Monday Night Raw in that respect. So that's the, that's about the, the extent of my memories, at least in, in 1995 of it. And didn't they, talking about war stuff, didn't they mind their P's and Q's at first? Because this was 8 o'clock. Was it Raw at 9 o'clock at this well, time? Well, Raw, Raw never ran on Labor Day either. They would do like a... Like a... Uh, dog show maybe? Like a, whether it was the dog show. No, U.S. Open Tennis. Would, right. Would, would, yeah. Would, be, would air on USA. Yeah. And um, so Raw would be preempted. Either they would air 
after the U.S. Open at like 11 or 12 o'clock at night, or they would just not have an episode altogether and you would skip the next week. In this instance, there was no episode um, of Monday Night Raw on this date. Um, there wasn't any uh, to replace, you know, f from their normal time slot. So Nitro ran unopposed um, to Monday Night Raw. I remember they advertised this Nitro and the announcement of this Nitro at a Clash of Champions a month prior. Um, and then I remember forgetting that there was the Nitro. And the only way I knew about this show in this particular episode was watching the Saturday Night Show and when they showed the highlights. And that's how I found out that Lex Luger had defected to WCW and left the WWF. So um, I completely forgot about um, this episode of Nitro until it actually happened. And this is actually... Full disclosure, the first time I'm going to watch this entire episode of Monday Nitro. I've seen some matches. I saw the, I've seen the opening match between Pillman and Liger. Um, and I've seen the Sting Ric Flair match on this show, but I've never watched the entire episode from start to finish. So, um, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be somewhat new for me for in terms of the, the overall, um, you know, watching the entire episode of Nitro. So, um, with that being said, hopefully you guys are all queued up, ready to go. Um, Monday Nitro, September the 4th, 1995. And without further ado, in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, hit play. And this is the iconic open of Monday Nitro. Why don't we play the audio for this one? That was big time, man. Oh, that was huge. Yeah. I got a trivia question for you, boys. I don't have the answer for it. They showed Vader. Vader was not on this episode. I was just going to bring that up. Was Vader ever on a Nitro? No. Vader, from what right. I understand, yeah. was... From what I understand, they had let go of Vader shortly before this episode. Or no, they let go of Vader after this episode of Nitro. Uh, not too long after this. Um... Due to the the fight in the shower with Paul Orndorff oh, backstage, yeah. but apparently, according to Eric Bischoff on his Eighty Three Weeks podcast, Vader was in attendance at this Nitro, but was not used. And then that's when I think like it was either at this Nitro or not long after this Nitro, they announced or they told they informed Vader that he was let go from the company. Um, I never noticed that. Well, how long was he uh, that face of Vader on on the Nitro? This, probably this first episode, if I'm not mistaken. Steve McMichael, Mongo, along with Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff here, the the broadcast team for the inaugural Monday Nitro. Mongo almost M Mongo almost uh, went to WWF after the Lawrence Taylor uh, yep uh, uh, match at WrestleMania this year in '95. Oh God, who do you think he would have feuded with in the WWF? Um, Jeez. I mean, he probably would have been fed to Undertaker. Yeah, I can see that. I can see you know that. I mean? Him and Kama had a beef based off of the um, the build up. the build up to the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam match. Uh, they they were kind of like two, they butted heads. There was a little bit of a feature. They had like a physical pull apart. Of yeah, they physically kinda, intense. Yeah, they were trash talking a little bit. I remember that. Um, there's Jush and Thunder Liger. Soon, soon to be a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, soon the, to be or already is. I yeah. guess the I don't know how you classify it now. Yeah, um, Hall of Fame elect. Yeah. Um, by the time this podcast drops, maybe having have inducted, having just having finished the uh, Nitro book by Guy Evans um, that you let me borrow, Dave. Um, Great I was, book, by the I, way. Yeah, fantastic book. Um, I actually went out to seek. I sought out Guy Evans's Twitter for this book, his Twitter account, to, to shoot him some compliments because I thought it was a fantastic he book. He sent me a, a DM because I tagged him on Twitter. Did he ask you to review it? Yep, yeah. on, on Amazon. I did too. I did that. Yeah. I accidentally reviewed it on Laura's work Amazon account, but that wasn't <laughs> a problem. Um, but anyways, why I brought that up was uh, what I didn't know until reading that book was that David Penzer is the only person to ever be on every single episode of Monday Nitro, period. Interesting. Yep. That was mentioned a handful of times because he was he was spoken to in the book. One of the like hundred plus sources in the book, David Penzer, 
I was the only person ever to get Gary every Michael episode. Capetta was the ring announcer before Penzer. Yes. Um, on the Saturday shows, the syndicated uh-huh. shows, the pay-per-views. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, they, they, they obviously they talk about how they put the show together and everything else that went along with it. But, um, you know, it kind of looking back at it now, given how much acclaim this match between Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman has gotten as such a revolutionary match in the States, this was almost like like a package, like a duh, like we got to put the best, you know, offerings on this inaugural pilot episode, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, this one was um, kind of a signature of WCW's, a signature act once it cu- once it caught steam. It kind of almost, in a way, is like an introduction to what they would represent with the cruiserweight division um, on Nitro that made Nitro so popular. Um, oh yeah, putting for these sure. two out there. Um, I wouldn't say this is their best match. Oh, not even close. Um, if you go back and you watch the Super Brawl two match, yeah, for the light heavyweight title when the WCW had that short lived lightweight division, I yep. watched that. Uh, a while back um wall-to-wall action man just great stuff between these two um yeah i mean so it was it was a no-brainer that you know if you had these two under the under the same roof that you you put them on the card against one another they just work so well together yeah it was like i said it was just like almost like an act like all right let's get this let's get this match on here these names the buzz that they provided they weren't Ugh. Yeah, it was see, it wasn't their best. wasn't their best showing. <laughs> a little ugly, but uh, thought it was. I thought it was pretty neat. Um, you know, in recent years, I think did, if I if I recall correctly, Liger actually wrestled Pillman's son. Yes, on the indie scene, yeah, as part of his retirement tour. Yeah, well, I yeah. thought that was super cool. And I don't know how that was set up. I don't know if that was you know either Liger or Pillman Jr. Um, you know, reaching out to one another, but. Um, I want to say it was Liger. Yeah. I think Liger was the one that said it, from what I understand, set it up because he wanted to. Obviously, he couldn't wrestle Brian because Brian's no longer with us. Um, but, you know, it, Brian had such a profound impact on his wrestling career and his body of work, uh, especially in the United States, that he wanted to pay homage to that in the, uh, the, the, the twilight of his wrestling career by wrestling his son, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, for um, sure. So obviously, uh, Liger's in the Hall of Fame. Seen someday, uh, Brian, uh, Flying Brian. Yeah, he's he's a shoe in for sure. I think so. Um, I'm not sure why he hasn't gone in. Um, I mean, we've had these conversations before about you know sometimes it's just not someone's time. Um, you know, I I personally thought when they put Bret Hart in again with Nightheart. That that's when they had the opportunity to do the entire Heart Foundation faction, but oh, obviously with cool. Owen, you know, Owen's yeah, estate yeah. not being, um, not not wanting to participate in that. Um, but Pillman also could go in on his own body of work. Yeah, I think it's just I think one. Yeah, I'm sure I've said it before. You know, just there's only there's only so much space for a you know for someone in absentia to be honored and inducted. So they usually kind of keep that minimal at best. So, you know, it's usually one one person a year who's no longer with us that gets in that they can kind of, you yeah, know, they shave time down yeah, they, without they, making it too sad. Yeah, they don't want to, you know, overload the ceremony with multiple people that passed. Yeah. Although sometimes they make exceptions like with uh, um, the year the Freebirds went in. Two out of the four Freebirds, Gordy and uh, Buddy Jack. Oh, well, that's... With us. But also Big Boss Man was a part of that. Yeah, Boss Man was there, but... Hall but... of Fame induction, too. He no longer with us. But, I, but I mean, the fact that there were, were Freebirds there kind of excuses the ones not being well, yeah, there. Well, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, it would, it would look kind of silly if Brett were to get yeah. inducted again as a third time with the rest of the Hart Foundation faction, yeah. and he's the only one left. Right, well, well not, not even necessarily that. That would have been fine, but just in general, like, you know... You get Big Boss Man, say, up there, and his family accepts the award, and that's all great and nice and deserving. And then, say, the Freebirds are all, you know, passed on. Yeah. Well, then that's another one where a family of people are up there where it's not who you paid to see. Yeah. So it's that's, not, yeah, that's you know. Way looking at it too. So, you know, it just, there's only so many spots, and, you know, you kind of, there's no rush to get them in. Yeah. So you, you, you put them in when, they're, when, you, when you, their name comes up again, that's all. So, but uh, this match is pretty clunky. Yeah, yeah it's couple, not, not their best sp- stuff. Yeah, definitely a couple of uh, botches. Oh, yeah. a nice drop kick. It was a nice drop kick. Right to the mush. 
as they like to say. You know what? I just noticed that this was like such a Nick Patrick, even maybe WCW thing, but like he he must know the finishes of the matches because like right at two, you see him slide his other hand under the shoulder of the wrestler right as he's about to hit the three count in preparation for like if they forget. That'd be interesting. Watch. See? He did it there again. Oh, okay. He All slides right. his hand under almost as if to like, come on, put your, you know, kick out. Okay. He he He's not the only one that's done that, though. I feel like I saw like Mickey Mickey J or Mickey Henson, whatever. Mickey Henson? I feel like it's like a WCW trademark thing. Maybe even a WWF one at one time. I think it's kind of smart. But you know what the referees in WCW used to do that you'll see a, a few times with Nick Patrick here? Um, when the referee goes for two and it counts to two and the guy kicks out, the referee looks directly at the hard camera and will and will will say it was only a two count. Whereas if you're in WWF or WWE and the guy kicks out, the referee goes to the corner of the ring to notify the timekeeper. Yeah. That the that the yeah. of what the count was. Whereas Nick Patrick lets the viewing audience at home and the hard camera know what the count was if in the event that. Yeah, that's so a good point. Like that, uh, at you, you would be if it was like a professional fight. You the timekeeper. You're, 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 yeah, that uh, makes more sense like to me. That, like uh, yeah. See, but he just did it there again. Yeah, he keeps going to the hard camera. Like, and and as a kid, I used to be like, is the timekeeper behind the camera? Yeah. Like I used to always wonder. Nice roll up here by Pillman. Now Nick Patrick did not put his hand on yeah, his he shoulder for the finish because yeah, because you're Cause right because he, he knew. The which is a little thing. I mean, it's it's not it's it wasn't obvious or plain as day. You had to look for it. That little move of his that he does. That again, he's not the only one I've seen do it. But yeah. having noticed it, I was like, oh, it's a little little thing that I found to be kind of funny. Now, what do you guys think of the mall setup here? And in, 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 in I terms like of... it in moderation. I like it. I like it. I, I like the unique like setups. Once every two three years, I actually would like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mind it either. It it, it kind of it adds to the special feel of the event yeah i know? actually think and this might be a th- an out there theory but i think with uh the slow uh trickling back of live audiences that this might be the way that wrestling goes for a l- the 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 short-term future when it comes to live tv with a live audience that this this type of not studio format remote settings remote settings that are unique yeah it uh, might be more prevalent um, kind of in the wake of like Daly's place with AEW, but with a crowd, I I can definitely see a lot of that being implemented to um, hide the empty seats in a big arena. There's a fair amount of independent wrestling organizations currently that are adopting the drive-in movie theater concept to independent wrestling That's if smart. the weather's permitting. So yeah. if you are running an indie show on like the fairgrounds or a fucking strawberry field or a farm or whatever and there's enough there's enough uh land you drive your car up to the the area and oh this is the hulk hogan pasta mania restaurant inside the uh the the mall of america let's play the audio for this this ought to be good mania in the mall of america i want to try to get a word with them if i could squeeze in there hulk hogan coming up Debut edition of Monday Nitro, you got Big Bob in the main event. Who's the greatest wrestler in the world? You know something, Eric Bischoff? Tonight on Monday Nitro, Pasta Mania is going to all my Hulkamania show them up. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkus, I kind of feel sorry for Big Bubba, brother, because oh tonight, God. brother, first time on fart on him? <laughs> WCW heavyweight title on the line. And with Pasta Mania running through my brain, who's going to beat Big Bubba tonight, Hulkamaniacs? Sounds like you are, and you're really focused on Pasta Mania. around the Mall of America, and all my Pasta Maniacs are tearing their WCW shirts off, brother. I'm going to give Big Bubba a dose of my Hulkaroos up there, and then I'm going to body slam him again. You know, with little Hulkamaniacs like that, Pasta Maniacs all around the Mall of America... Big Bubba, you better tighten up that waist on, brother, because the holster's slim and trim. I've been eating my pasta mania. And what you gonna do in the Mall of America, brother, with Hulk Hogan, pasta mania, and all my pasta maniacs 
No one was eating pasta. Yeah, they're all just, yeah. Oh, because the shit was probably terrible. No, I would say no, there was like no... Definitely not gluten-free either, by the way. Oh, not, not back then. Not back then. I don't think gluten-free was a thing back then, 25 Hell, years ago. Yeah, and amazing people didn't die, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, Jesus Christ. But, you know, what? as I was saying, the drive-in movie theater kind of vibe is, is being implemented with you know, lower, smaller scale independent wrestling organizations around the country. I think like uh, there's an indie group out of New Jersey that was like one of the first to to try and help bring the live audience back to their shows, um, which I think is a smart idea. You know, bring trying to get people to not only practice social distancing, but um, being able to uh, um you know, have some kind of a live crowd, if you will, at their shows, but in a different way and participating in a different way. I think that's kind of cool. I yeah. agree with this, uh, you know, the pandemic and all this other craziness. Throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. If you're the first person to, or the first promotion, whatever, yeah. to come up with something big, it, it, your little thing might be this big thing. You yeah, gotta go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with it, considering yeah. you know the world we're the, the the world we've been living in these last several months. You know, by the time this the, this show drops, uh, you know things might be a little bit different. Um, I think know. it'd be cool if even the WWE did it. Like you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know what's funny? They used to, and I don't think they've done it in recent years. But Justin, you you know, they they used to do in the summer. They used to do the Cape Cod Tent Tour, where they would run ha- live events or house shows in like remote settings, like within like. Cape Cod, Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. Oh, wait a minute. What do we have here? Oh, Sexy life. What the hell is this? It's a public mall. He's allowed to be here. I thought you were kidding. What is this? Wait a minute. He's got a right to be wearing this. They should have really done it better and like had him like with like some like shopping bags. Like he was walking through the. He's got a fucking Cinnabon. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh man, that's hilarious! Yeah, that would have been kind of cool. Um, and like, like I said earlier, this was the watching the replay of this on the Saturday Night Show was the first I knew that Lex Luger had left the WWF and went to WCW. Now, as a kid, and I don't know how crazy it like to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like I feel like history gives us a lot more love than I think. It, maybe it was a big deal to but to me. I was like, "You're fucking nobody. You didn't do shit in WWF." Just um, lost to Yokozuna a bunch and fucking moved on. You didn't do shit. I, like, I, mean, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I don't know. Maybe because I watched Luger in WCW prior to his WWF right. run, and that's why I felt it was a big enough deal. But I just remember at the time that um, that uh, Luger was in the midst of a storyline with Diesel and the and the British Bulldog when right. they turned Davy Boy heel, um, and him and Luger were a tag team, and he got involved in the finish of that SummerSlam match um, a few weeks prior, and then he just showed up on Nitro, and I was like, wait a minute, like when did he leave? And I thought he was, you know, so I had like that to me is like that's what made it feel like a big deal because he was in the midst of a right. storyline, and yeah, also too because of, my, of because of my history, yeah, it was unheard of at the time because of my history of of watching him as a fan um, in his early WCW days, right? Yeah. So, and as we all know, um, you know, these two, Sting and Ric Flair, would compete on the final Monday Nitro in yep. March of 2001. Um, the main event of that Nitro. That was a good match. The, the final Nitro yeah. match? I think from a historical, like, yeah, historical, from a historical perspective. From a historical perspective, yeah. But, you know, because you, you realize you're witnessing something big. Having read the book, the Nitro book... That match only went eight minutes. Really? Yeah. yeah but it, again, like you well, kind of machinizing in your head is like this great thing, and it was to a degree, like you're saying, but like eight the, minutes is like the Booker T. Just getting started. The, the Booker T versus Steiner match was not very inspiring. So maybe, there wasn't a lot of inspiring stuff yeah. on that show, to be honest yeah. with you. I don't even recall watching. No, I. the only thing I saw on that last Nitro, which is to me kind of my attachment to the historical night that that was i didn't see the end with shane mcmahon walking out i think i went to bed at that point i was still young i taped them both uh but what i did see which to me was even more historic than the simulcast was nitro opened and the first thing you saw was vince mcmahon 
Yeah. In, oh. on, from Monday Night Raw. And he announced that he had bought WCW. That's the first thing you saw when you turned... The, 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 the signature, the flashy effects, the, the flames, yeah. the, yeah. the, the video package. Yeah, and then from the video package... They fade up. It's Vince McMahon, and you're like, and you already knew what happened already from that day. The news of the day was that this happened, but the first image you saw on a WCW show Ooh, that night was Vince McMahon. That was that to me was historic. Flair delivering a cross Bobby the Sting over the top. Interesting. Yeah, he still had it in him. Was Vince in a ring? No, he was he was at Cleveland's Monday Night Raw. He was backstage. Backstage okay, at like the interview set section. Because uh, the WCW was on the the Titantron. And, and it, it, that it was, was the going, end. That was it, the end. That was the end when he came out in the ring. And when Shane, Shane came out, Shane oh, came right. out on Nitro. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was in the end. But the very beginning, he's backstage and he just talks. Oh, you know, the very fate of WCW is in my hands, and you know, and everything. And then they shoot over to Panama City, and Shivani's like, "Oh my God, like what's in store? Like yeah. you know, it's a, I can't believe what's happening." Like, you think Shivani thought, "Oh, it's that guy." Yeah, no I don't know. I don't he doesn't think, seem to really have he, the best relationship with them. He didn't because of the way he left WWF in 1990. Um, yeah. And I only know this from listening to his podcast. He was with the WWF for a year, yeah, 89 to 90. Yeah, he and he lived in Connecticut, and he had like four or five kids, legit. And um, his family, especially his wife, they wanted to move back back down south into the Atlanta, Georgia area, and him working for Turner would also mean he had a, bit, a little bit of a lighter schedule than WWF when he was working for them, and they just didn't, like, his, I guess, like, moving from the, to him, moving from the south and going up north, like, obviously, like, the pay scale, the style, the, the lifestyle, things are different, you know, from people that can relate. You know, from living in both the North and the South, um, and I think that played a part in it. And so he left WWF, and um, reason being is that you know his wife wanted to move back down south, and he left with the notion from Turner was that he was going to work for WCW for a few years. And he's like, here's Arn Anderson, um, and this was during the midst of the Arn Anderson Ric Flair rivalry. Yes. Um, leading to their match at Fall Brawl in uh, just a couple weeks after this. But Shivani was, he claims he was promised a deal to work Atlanta Braves baseball um, following a WCW run. And that apparently didn't happen, obviously. Um, but then about a month into his return to WCW, according to him, he called Vince McMahon up and said, can I please get my job back? I'll make it work. And Vince said, you've already committed. I'm sorry. You know, call me when you're, when you're freed up. And for years, um, he would periodically call and speak to people within, uh, WWE about acquiring a job. I guess he called and spoke with them a couple of times, uh, wanting to be a part of the network somehow, whether it was producing content, hosting show. He did a lot of the Coliseum home video productions during his time in WWF, which I yeah, didn't know yeah, about. Yeah, he was like such a third-string guy the whole time he was there, really. Um, which is... I like. I think Tony Schiavone's fantastic. Yeah. Um, like I said, his stuff back in the day, like I see him now and I'm like, Ugh, you're just older, more raspy, not funny. Not that... I mean, he, or excuse me, he tries to be funny. He yeah. was the straight guy here. You know, you see him now on AEW, and he's... He's the Bob Saget of pro wrestling yes, right now. Yes, yes. Well, even, no, he's like he's like the Bob Saget on stage that we know. Yeah, that's true. He's, yeah. That's what he is now. Yeah. But back then, he was Bob Saget, Danny Tanner. Yeah, correct. He yeah. was the Danny yeah. Tanner of pro wrestling. That's a good point. Now he's Bob Saget. Yeah, that's a good Which, point. there is a huge distinction between yes. Bob Saget oh, and yes. Danny Tanner. Yes, you, you are correct there. <laughs> and I, the, uh, I remember thinking that even back watching WCW, like, he, like, looked and... Not looked, but... He just had this, or this, these mannerisms and kind of like just the way he came off. He, he was very Danny Tanner like. But he also had this ability, and I don't know if you could agree, Dennis. Um, as a as a as a commentator, um, you looked at him, and he was one of the very few guys that you could you could picture calling a another professional sport. Like for instance, like Mean Gene Okerlund is probably considered the Howard Cosell of professional wrestling. Like you could have pictured Mean Gene doing football, anything else, yeah. Baseball, whatever. Shivani I think falls into that category as well. 
And granted, he would end up doing triple-A um, or double-A, um, the Gwinnett Braves, the, the farm team for the, uh, the Atlanta Braves. Um, he would end up doing baseball for them for a number of years until he got the job with AEW, and then he had to, he had to leave completely. But, um, yeah, um, would you say that you could picture someone like a Tony Schiavone? I'm trying to envision it. In professional sports? I think triple-A or double-A baseball is perfect for him. When it's a little little serious, a little circus-y. I can never see him, like, you know, and now calling the Super Bowl. Troy Eggman and Tony Schiavone. Yeah, but there's a little more blue chip uptown class to those major people. You know, Phil Nance, Joe Buck... You know, those are Al Michaels. Those are kind of like the royal, the royalty of like live action, you know, commentating. Um, but he kind of falls into that. Like, like I could see, it's funny. I, like Tony Schiavone looks like he could be calling the Little League World Series. Correct. Like, yeah, he kind of has like that enthusiasm, but that straight laced quality at the same time that I think, you know, you see him in the golf shirts versus like suit and tie. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it here. Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, a lot of people. I'm I'm I, I might be in the minority, but everyone wanted to see them together. I did not have a problem with the two of them facing off with one another as a kid. I don't know about you. Um I remember when this was kinda happening that time. Um, not that I correlate it to the episode of Nitro. Scott Norton. Fucking scary dude. Oh, he probably still to this day. You know what? One of the nicest wrestlers I've ever met. Let's play the audio here. I want no part of Scott Norton. No. He might be one of the most scary looking dudes in wrestling. Oh, gotta get a Savage cameo on the show. Wait, is this Scott Norton debuting? Yeah. I feel like this is him debuting. This might be. This very, this very well might be the case. No one talks about that. I don't it's remember, to be honest. Scott Norton is a... Like, he looks like a sort of... like. He believes... I believe in that Scott Norton's a badass. Yes. Yeah, like, he had... Yeah. And, he's not and, pretending. And he low-key was one of my... My favorite... Low-key being one of my favorite NWO guys because of the believability factor. He was just so um, badass, if you will. Um, yeah, this this very well could be his, uh, his debut before he went to uh, Fire and Ice with, uh, with Ice Train. Yeah, I like Dice Train. Who do you think was in a fight between those two boys? I think they feuded. That's how they split. Yeah. There was a fight. I mean, oh, I'm like in a shoot? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about, Ooh. yeah, the, the, the two, two boys. And, I'm going to say Ice alley. Train. I think so too, man. I think Ice Train. He was a little bit... Like, Scott Norton is a tough guy, I'm sure, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'll give the edge to Ice Train. And Sabu here. Interesting video package, the way they're setting this like up with the, the graphics. and. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny looking. I don't know how to explain this, but I love Sabu, the wrestler. I hate Sabu, the wrestling matches. Yes. The character. I like the character Sabu. Yeah? Okay. Ma- his matches are kind of bleh. Like, they were scary, and, like, like I, I, I remember watching Sabu, or hearing about him, and it was like, he was, he was a fucking animal. Like, he didn't just hit you with a chair. Like, there was barbed wire, and, like, there was buckets of blood, and all that. It, it was, it was death matches in America. Yeah. And that was like at the time, like there was a element of like realism to that that you knew was like you can't fake that. I just think it was just when I watched him in ECW, it was always like an aura, like you said, an aura to him. And once he went to the WWF and WWE, that uh, he was so exposed that because all he could do was wrestling matches, he just it, it was a He's deer in He was a deer yeah. in headlights. Yeah. yeah, they were like Sabu, we need you to wrestle, and you're like ah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, he was very one-dimensional. There's some, there some aspects where I thought Salmon was a better wrestler than Sabu. Is that Dirty Dick Slater? That is Dirty yes. Dick with Johnny B. Bad. My man. 
and your stinging macho man main event anywhere in the country on WCW Saturday night it's a good match and then the fall brawl brawl in the war games yeah which originally Vader was supposed to be a part of that war games team with Hogan Savage and Sting Um, but that wouldn't come to be uh, because he got his ass whooped by Paul Orndorff in flip flops in the shower (laughs) yeah good old Paul Orndorff Mr. Wonderful yeah, he uh, he kind of floated around WWE for a, quite a while. Orndorff? In that mid to late 90s. Yep. Like, he made it probably almost to, like, what, 99? Being under contract to them? 98? Well, he, was, he would eventually um, be a trainer. Yeah. He'd work in the power plant. Yeah, he fucking was around for VK Michael Wall Street. Wall Street. Wait, I thought it was VK Wall Street. Or VK Wall Street. Maybe it was VK Wall Street. Vincent Kennedy Wall Street. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's a... You know, I forgot about stupid that. Stupid ass... Like little fucking, you know, wink and nods to each other. Oh yeah, that uh, yeah, that was that was constant during this era. Yeah, the suit with the little dollar sign on it. Yeah. It's not as obnoxious as DiBiase's, but it's still obnoxious nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. You can't walk into a fucking board meeting looking like that. <laughs> no, God no. <laughs> Although that would be fun. Like you can only do that if you own the place. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah, uh, you know, you know, during like this uh, era of our of our world too. Like, like you're gathered in a room. That guy wears that suit with with the dollar sign on. It goes, yeah, we're all laid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can try to take him seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you buddy. A, you have a dollar sign on your suit. Mm-hmm. Big Bubba. That's main event time already. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Big Bubba Rogers. Yeah, he was still uh, a big boy here. He still moved around. For, oh, for he, yeah, size. he did. Like, he but was, even in his, even when he was Twin Towers, and he was with him and Akeem, it's fucking huge. Yeah. He could fly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he very under, very underrated, underappreciated. I know he's in the Hall of Fame, but even like you don't hear his name enough when it comes to big men. Yeah. I know yeah, he, he was one of those Hall of Fame picks but, where I was like, Big Boss Man Hall of Fame, and I'm like, eh, but you know what? As, as time has gone on, and I think about it, like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, oh, he, he was. Absolutely huge. Yeah, I think they should have did more with the nails, Bossman angle, but that uh, nails. Nails had to put his hands on uh, on Vince. Yeah, and that was the end of it. A rumor has it that that, that uh, it was going to be Taker versus Nails. They started awesome. setting that up. They started setting up on TV. Sick. Yeah, they set that up on TV. It was a cover of a magazine. It was it was it was something. Um, that's what Hulk happened. He beat him Hogan. up or something, right? He beat up Vince. He, he, yeah, he, he, like, he, I wouldn't say he beat the shit out of him, but he had a, an issue with him, and Where's they got physical, and that was the end of it. He was yeah. done. He would actually, it's funny, Nails would join WCW briefly, and he was known as the prisoner. Really? He wasn't known as, he wasn't known as screwdriver or no. fucking. No, he was <laughs> the, a bit of he staples. Same, same jumpsuit with a nightstick, and he would be called the prisoner. I think that lasted all of like a couple of months, and then he was done yeah, too. Yeah, WCW was especially in this like early Hogan days. They were the king of just like, you know, WWF light. You know, oh, yeah. you know, they took everybody. Earthquake was avalanche. Yeah, someone else still explained to me. Tight. Well, and then Big Bubba. Big boss man. You know yeah, I mean? but he was also big boss. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're so. right. That's true. Or, yeah. Well, but then he was, he was fucking before he was big bubba. He was the fucking uh, armed guardian or the whatever. guardian angel. The guardian angel. Well, you know why he did that too? Because they brought him in as the boss. Okay. Well, the there you go. Man. He was the boss. <laughs> Same big boss man getup. Yeah. But he was just the boss. the boss. And I've said this to you before, and I think this is one of the silliest things. That they had ever perpetrated in all of wrestling. He had a match with Vader at the 1994 Spring Stampede. And he got disqualified for using the nightstick. And Nick Bockwinkle, who was the acting TV figurehead, yep. commissioner of the company, told him in the locker room, you are not allowed to use that nightstick anymore. And you are not allowed to re- refer to yourself as the boss. You need to come up with a new name. On <laughs> fucking TV! <laughs> you just totally took away the illusion yeah. from me. We want to talk That's about funny. insulting people's intelligence. You just fucking fucking slap me in the face and bent me over with no Vaseline. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, like, for a prison guard, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it all comes back full circle. <laughs> but yeah, like they were just like, they were, they just took all these ex guys in WWF and, you know, other than the nasty boys, they all, they, Duggan. All, they yeah, I mean, Duggan, they all had, they, they were all like, it was like, 
you were getting the knockoffs from Chinatown. I mean, Brutus Beefcake wasn't Brutus Beefcake. The Booty Man. He was Brother Brutai. He was the Butcher. Then he was, and we talked about this, Dennis, the man with no name. Oh, yeah. For like a hot second. Yep. Then he became the Zodiac. Then he became the Booty Man. Then he became the Disciple. Yeah. Okay. They should have just called him Hulk Hogan's friend. Yeah. That should have been his character name. Hulk Hogan's friend. He was friend. in the territory days as, as, as his uh, brother. As his brother. Yeah. Like uh, Ed Boulder. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, that was kind of, you know, they realized very quickly once, especially they came into prime time. All right, we got to really do some different shit here if we're going to make a, make a dent in this. On the Monday night TV. Yeah. TV landscape, yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah. It's it, I, honestly, I it, it it probably made people notice them more, regardless. Like once all these WWF people came, even though they may have had varying names and similar characters, they were like I I recognized and gravitated a little bit. I put my eye towards it, you know. Like it it, it helped in some degree. But and one thing I would like to mention here that I've said this before. I don't know if I've said this to both of you gentlemen, but I hated Jimmy Hart as Hulk Hogan's manager as a babyface. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Hart was yeah. always known to be this fucking weasel, this little pipsqueak. He managed all the evil guys. He, you know, Earthquake, Dino Bravo, the Nasty Boys, you know, everyone, Typhoon, everyone that they brought down the pike in WWF. And then they put him in there as Hulk. I mean, granted, I know he had a history behind the scenes, and he still does to this day. He's Hulk Hogan's business manager, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. You know? It's going to drop the life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's yeah, he's set up for life, um, but I hated it. It just didn't make any sense to me. Jimmy Hart did not, say, and Hulk Hogan didn't. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I would agree. I don't totally. think it was. I don't think it was anything that um, provided anything valuable. Like I think it added. It, it it gave Hulk Hogan. I think if anything, this this per- perpetuated the the aura of him as a larger than life, bigger than wrestling. Just, individual like entourage that yeah exactly yeah probably that, that too that yeah. could be it too as well yeah because i think he was just kind of like you know a gopher of sorts and this was a way to get him on camera and he's he's a fucking star himself jimmy hart you know in his own right yeah look at jimmy hart the jackets though in this time well all the times but yeah, the, he, the jackets are cool yeah he his presentation was unbelievable like yeah. with the and then the, the best part too is for like with Jimmy Hart is if he managed multiple guys and they were on the same card, different, he came out in different yep. outfits. I love yeah. that. Like he had an outfit for every guy. Yep, that was know? cool, which is great. You, you know, know, to the point where when he he's, he would come out with the Nasty Boys wearing like the motorcycle helmet, right? Yeah, he'd have the motorcycle yeah. helmet. Yeah, it was airbrushed. It said Nasty Boys, but then if he came out with the Mountie, he had the red coat. Yeah, you know, or came, Dino Bravo, he Dino had the Bra- fucking the French, French Canadian flag. Yeah. yeah, he had the hat too. Uh, yep. Sometimes the beret, he wore the. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes with the Rougeos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah Jimmy Hart, nice. like, he. The only time he really didn't do that was, from the best of my recollection, was at the 1991 SummerSlam, where he actually had the SummerSlam themed jacket airbrushed into his sports coat. Oh, yeah. And he had the logo, and then he had all the guys that were part of his entourage that were on the card, like, airbrushed, like, in their names, like Nasty Boys, Natural Disaster, The Mountie. Yeah. 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 So, like, that was, like, one of the only times he didn't wear multiple outfits in the same event while he was managing guys. Would we, uh... Would any of us feel comfortable putting him in the top five managers of all time? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. I haven't it. given it thought myself, let's but I'm not... Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Obviously, top five. I said, I, that's what I mean. Not Mount Rushmore. Uh, Heaton. Um, yeah. Why not? But uh, if I'm uh, going to give you five, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Jim Cornette. Yeah. Jimmy Hart. Yeah. Sensational Sherry. Mm, yeah. And rounding out that five is either... J.J. Dillon, mm-hmm. or yeah, maybe J.J. Dillon, or Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, those are all fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, it's Bobby yeah, Heenan yeah, and everybody yeah, else. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, but for sure. I like I like Paul Heyman too. I do. I think Paul Heyman is certainly rising for sure. I would put him close to the top five. I wouldn't think it's egregious if he was in there. I don't really have a top five. Like I said, it's Bobby Heenan and everybody else, but I think Jimmy Hart yeah. certainly he cracks it. Is in the is in the uh in the upper echelon of everybody else. Yeah. For sure. If a woman definitely says she'll say she's the uh 
equivalent where Bobby Heenan would be for the males. Yes. I, or I was watching. Yes. That's I was. A good way of looking at I it. was watching Bash at the Beach '94, and she's managing Ric Flair, or as she was called, sensual Sherry. Sensuous Sherry. Yeah. Sensu- yeah. Exactly. Another sensuous Sherry. Yeah. As as uh. Again, another Hogan ripoff. Yeah, another Hogan ripoff. I'll just make her the same character with like a different name. <laughs> yeah, surprised I didn't call her Cheryl. My favorite connection with her though was uh, the Macho Man. Them too. Those promos. Yeah, that's probably her best work. But when they're doing best work, I was a fan. Would go off the wall. With my hilarious. age, it was Harlem Heat. Yeah, the, that was for me. Yeah. For me, just because I was, I, I was, I was young. Time. I was too young to remember her and Savage. It was, it was Harlem Heat that made me go like, whoa. Michael's oh, I love that. You saw that? Randy Anderson like yeah. literally leaped yeah, over the, Hogan to make that yeah. count. He's like the perfect little referee. Him and like Charles Robinson. Like you couldn't, you couldn't have like me six foot three as a referee. Because I'd like tower over people. It was one of the few times too. Normally when you work, have a referee angle, they normally don't really work or they don't rub up. His referee angle was awesome. Dude, I was just going I'm so glad you said that. I was just going to say that when the when the when they fired Bischoff him. fired him and then a couple of weeks later he came back with his kids. Oh so well. and the kids were like, please, oh here we go, the dungeon of doom. Kamala <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Zodiac, Zodiac Kevin Sullivan, yeah. Kevin Sullivan, the the, the task. The shark. There's shark, and then we got Meng. Oh, and here comes Luger. Luger into make the save. But yes, yes, Dennis. When when Randy Anderson brought the kids to Nitro, and Bischoff was at the commentators table with Hall and Nash, and Bischoff, in the most serious tone, looked at his children and said, "Could you please tell your father?" That he still fired, yeah. <laughs> like such a dick move. It was so it was such a dick move that, and I've heard stories like this before, but it was also um, mentioned in the Nitro book. Justin was that uh, people that lived in the town that Randy Anderson lived in in Georgia called Human Resources for yeah. Turner Broadcasting to get him to get his job back because they thought the way he was fired on television that was, was so good. I, and and Bischoff had to tell Harvey Schiller like it's an angle, it's a story. He's coming back. Like yeah, they didn't know the difference. Speaking of that book, they talk about this scene here, and I don't remember specifically what it was that Luger did. He may have just broken character, maybe like smirked or cracked a smile during this oh, exchange. But Hogan shot at him, not on a promo, but like in between a commercial break, and was like, "Look, motherfucker, you're taking money off my, you know, my kid's yeah, plate." Like, I like, remember that. You know, we're working here, but like Luger was like caught up in the moment and you know, kind of smirked and broke character, and Hogan had set him straight in the ring. Like, look, dude, we're here to make money. Yeah. I, remember I thought that, that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I think yeah, like when they go to commercial here, he lays into him for whatever. Like again, like smiling or whatever he did. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, Dennis, you should yeah get the book from Justin. He, I think you would like it. Yeah, it, it was some fascinating stories, not just from like the creative aspect, but also the 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 corporate infrastructure of Turner and what their overall. Um, feelings were on WCW and just wrestling in general, like which pretty much the entire book. And I'm not going to give away too much. Was that they they didn't like wrestling, but even though it made them money, they still didn't like wrestling. Let's, uh, let's but play, it didn't even really make the money. Let's though. Play the other part of it. Hey, Luger, you got no business in my backyard, Luger. Well, let me tell you why I'm here. I'll make it clear right up front. I'm here for one reason and one reason only. People say that you're the number one wrestler in the world today. You wear that WCW belt around your waist. And you know what? That makes you the only world heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. That's why I'm here. Let me tell you something, Luger. Second, before you jump the gun, hold on. I think this was the moment. And let me finish. He cut Hogan off. Maybe that was it, yeah. I've been down the same roads as you. I've been where you've been. I've beaten the same people you've beaten. I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get it on with the big boys. And that means... Mean Gene, like, who? <laughs> little extra shoe polish and yeah. mustache from the opening nitro. Mm. Oh, I'm going to get my shot. You see this, brother? This is the WCW heavyweight title, brother. I'm the champion, and that's the way it's going to stay forever and a day. I know where you've been, brother. You've been playing games. I'm going to have to give you your due, brother. I know when you started and how long you've been at it, brother. But when you come in the WCW, 
When you get in Hulk Hogan's face, brother, there's thousands of Hulkamaniacs, brother, that are going to stand behind me each and every bit of the way, Luger. So as far as I'm concerned, brother, as great as you may be, you don't have to prove nothing to me, brother. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till next month. Just stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Shake my hand, and I'll put the WCW title on the line next Monday on Monday Nitro. Right in my you have to wait. Yeah. That stinky palm. Savage. He's like Hogan's hype man. There you go, Gene. <laughs> you know, I think it was, I, you know what, I honestly want to say, I think it was the moment when Luger said, I've beaten the guys you've beaten, I've been where you've been, and Hogan looked like he was trying to cut him off there. I think, from what I understand in that book, I think part of Hogan's gripe with him was the fact that you just basically gave away... Like, why would anybody want to see the two of us face each other if you've beaten who I've beaten? Yeah, maybe it was. I don't remember. I could it could. Mistaken, yeah, it could. I'm not sure. And this thing with the fucking dog was stupid. With Mongo holding yeah. the dog, I thought that was fucking silly. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like my dog. Exactly <laughs> like my dog. And Billy could be that old. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But that is the the end of the the very nice way first to finish it. Monday Nitro. Yeah. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys Lord coming on board. Um, full disclosure to the both of you, I've kept the month of September open. My schedule here for you guys, for the two of you. And there's four weeks available. So what I'm asking of both of you, if you choose to accept, I'm going to let each of you choose one subject that you want to discuss for one week. And I'm also going to let you choose one particular show you would like to watch in watch-along form, each of you. So, it could be an old pay-per-view, it could be an episode of any one of the Nitro, Raw, Sunday Night Heat, SmackDown, Primetime Wrestling, whatever, old AWA, World Club, whatever. As long as it's not fucking four-hour WrestleMania. <laughs> Other than that... Any subject you guys want to discuss, each of you get an opportunity to. And if there's a particular show or a match you would like to watch, then we can do that as well. So each of you will have two options, two choices to fill out the month of September. You let me know, and then I'll make it happen. Like All right. It. All right. So, I'm with it. Yeah, I'll have to ponder that. And and we can alternate. So one week it will be your subject, Justin. Then the next week it will be um, Dennis's watch-along. And then the following week it will be Dennis's subject. And then the next week it will be Justin's watch-along. Sure. So yeah. we could do something like that. So if there's something that you got brewing that you want to talk about, the floor is yours. September is a, is a clean slate as far as I'm concerned with the two of you. And it's also co-host appreciation month here on Kick It <laughs> So... Not that I don't appreciate the, uh, the the other guys that have co-hosted, and you know I will certainly um, allow them the floor for you know open forum and whatever they want to talk about you know on future editions. But I thought while well, I have the two of you here, let's make that happen. So uh, you know we don't know what's going to happen on our next episode, but you'll find out soon enough by tuning in next week. So with that being said, I think it's officially about that time that we put this show down for the three count, and we will see you all next week.